Gather round, one and all, and listen to tales of excitement and adventure. Tales of daring heroes, savage monsters, and bards who just couldn't keep it in their pants. Tales of friendship, nobility, drunken foolishness, and unforgettable fun. These are tales of role-playing games, fair listeners, and this is Rollin' Bones. My name is Ryan Howard, and I shall be your guide. Good evening, Boneheads, and welcome to Rollin' Bones with Ryan Howard, your RPG treasure trove. I am your host and king of the Boneheads, Ryan Howard, and joining us this evening on Rollin' Bones, uh, he is the mind behind Dandelion Games. You may have heard of Dare Luck Club or any of the other uh, products that he's put out. You may know him as the dude wearing the Hawaiian shirt at your favorite (laughs) convention, Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Rolling Bones, Luau Lu. Mama, I made it on Rolling Bones. I've done it. <laughs> this is a, this is awesome, man. Thanks for having me. Absolutely, it's it's great to have you on. Uh, we met for the first time at North Texas, uh, and I've been kind of you know like bringing people on who I ran into, uh, bumped into, got to meet at the convention. Uh, that's how uh, Jeff came on the show. That's how Eric Tankar came on, and and now we are bringing Lou on to talk a little bit about this Dare Luck Club game. Yeah, appreciate it. Yeah, uh, you know, for anyone out there that hasn't been, uh, you know, Ryan can back me up on this. North Texas is the end all be all the conventions. I mean, I have mm-hmm. been to a lot of conventions, and it is by far the best, hands down. Oh yeah, uh, absolutely. I'm, but uh, and, then, and then, like you were saying, I mean, there's there's so many great personalities there, and uh, you know, everybody's your buddy when you go there. It's not like some of the bigger conventions where you feel a mile away from from some of the producers in the industry or what have you. So it's uh, it's just great. Mm-hmm. But um, really, it was uh, kind of for me somewhat of a launching point uh, to get back into uh, game publishing. I uh, this is Dandelion Games is my second publishing company that I ran. Uh, the first one I ran into the ground <laughs> uh, back in the 2000s, uh, back when it was a lot harder to be a, a self-publisher or a small publisher. So, uh, but, uh, so uh, I, I know you got some questions, so uh, I'm, I'm ready for them. Here we go. All right. Well, yeah, we're going to start this off the same way we start all of these shows. Uh, so let's kind of begin at the beginning here. Lou, how did you get into RPGs? All right, so uh, for some of the younger pups, uh, you might not even be able to fathom this. I know you've heard of it before, but um, I'm a second-generation gamer, which in my mind means that I came into gaming uh, early 80s, uh, so I wasn't there at its origin, but I got there just as it was starting to become real popular. And um, at that point, we had what was called the Satanic Panic, and uh, you, you can't really get your mind around how bad this was, especially in the Midwest where I'm from. Um, you know, uh, I had friends that played, uh, I was just in love with fantasy, uh, writing fantasy books, uh, medieval history and D and D was like this thing that is like, man, that, that just looks like the ultimate fun you could have. 
but my parents, uh, it, you know, trying to be good parents, like, oh, I don't know, man, people are committing suicide, and, uh, you know, uh, you, you worship the devil to play that game and stuff like this. Uh, so there's this, this, you know, chasm between me and this, this great good that I saw out there. Um, my father, uh, he was sort of a model train nut when he was a kid. And so as kids, uh, my brother and I, he would, he would take us uh, to the hobby shop and we'd get model train stuff. And so you'd always see D&D sitting off to the side there and, uh, you know, this great allure. And um, so finally, uh, a great friend of mine who ended up becoming an artist, he's an artist in one of my books, Christopher Tupa, his parents, uh, who went to the same church as mine, um, they were like, oh, you know, we're going to let him play D&D. It looks, you know, looks pretty good. So then my parents were like, yeah, okay, we'll let you play. But but that was kind of further on. That was, you know, about 10 years in the making before I got to that point. So uh, in, in the meantime, uh, I want to play this game that I can't play. And uh, I have just a, a vague understanding of the rules. And so that's kind of what got me into game design. Uh, probably the, the first three or four RPG games I played were ones that I made. And I, I tried to, you know, well, I think this might be how it's played. And uh, I'd have a map and have little designs on the map. And if somebody chose to go to this point, they had to roll certain numbers to survive or whatever. And, uh, you know, little by little, I got closer to what real role playing is about. But uh, eventually got to play the real thing. And, uh, well, sort of. I mean, you know, back then, uh, being kids, we they didn't really know the rules either. So when I went over to their house to play, uh, the, uh, the, the thing my friend said, he's like, yeah, uh, you know, go to the hobby shop and, and buy one of those Ralph Partha figures and that'll be your character. So I show up with my little paper bag and open it up and pull out skeletal warriors. You know, I had no idea that you, you're supposed to be a dwarf or a warrior, or a, you know, wizard or whatever. I was just like, this is badass. We're going to do this. Uh, and of course, they're like, yeah, go ahead, man. <laughs> we'll make rules up for it. But eventually I learned how to really play. And, and that's kind of my my intro, intro story in the gaming. Gotcha. And that's also why I buy a game companies called Dandelion Games. My My father was a goat herder. And his goat herd was dandelion goats, spelled uh, L-I-N-E, like a train line. And, and that was his symbol. And so that's uh, for this new company. I was kind of doing an homage for my my father, who's deceased now, and called it Dandelion Games. Gotcha. Gotcha. That's that's a pretty awesome origin story for the, uh, you know, the name of your company. Thanks. There's actually one other company out there named after goats, uh, Feigning Goat Games. And I'd love to talk to that owner to find out why he named it that. That is there. I'm in uh, the Nashville area in Tennessee, and there's a coffee shop uh, a few miles south of Nashville called The Fainting Goat that my wife and I <laughs> would go to all the time. So that's it's interesting how how often that name comes up. <laughs> yeah. Yep. And uh, apparently, apparently, Elfie, my my wife, her dad uh, was also into model trains. I actually didn't know that. Um, I got him into painting war game figures, like Civil War figures, because oh, yeah. I like to paint, and I thought it would be something that I could, like, kind of backdoor him Bum. into enjoying, because he loves Civil War <laughs> stuff. So I didn't know that there was another thing there that I could hook him with, but there we go. Yeah. Model trains are great. you got to have some space, uh, which, uh, you know, not everybody does, but uh, they, they are cool. A lot of fun to be had there, making the scenery and whatnot. And like you said, I mean, it's a natural conversion into gaming scenery, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Now, 
of all the games that you played kind of throughout your RPG career, what would you say is your favorite? Man, uh, you ask me any week and it's going to be a different answer. Um, right now, uh, man, I'm still, I still have a lot of love for Hollow Earth Expedition by Exile Studios. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a pulp genre game. Uh, I think they're, from what I understand, they're, uh, they're out of business, or at least they're taking a hiatus from the industry. But uh, the quality of their products and the ease at which their game rolls, uh, it's just got a, this wonderful engine called the Ubiquity Engine. Um, it, it's the only game that it doesn't matter what the storyline is, you always finish the adventure within four hours. And you feel like, you know, it's, it's you know, you haven't skipped any uh, any spots. You don't feel cheated or anything. It feels like the, the you know story has naturally unfolded and had its climax and everything. Uh, within that four-hour period. It's a really sharp, slick system. Gotcha. Yeah, that's one... I, I think that's one of the ones that Seth Skorkowski recommends, uh, or at least plays a lot on his show. I've definitely heard of that system and heard people speak highly of it, so I should give that a try someday. Yeah, I think there's there's some licensees that I think are still producing product. Uh, I, I can't swear by it, but I think... Uh, they, they relaunched uh, Space 1899 with that system, and there's like a League of Adventures, which is more of like a Victorian-era spin on it. Um, it's good stuff. I highly recommend it. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of all that, like, Jules Verne, H.G. Wells, <laughs> League of Extraordinary Gentlemen type uh, pulp fantasy. So that that sounds like a great, sounds like a great game for me. Yeah, you'd love it, yeah. So, hey, has anyone ever asked you what your origin was? I haven't gone all the way through your back catalog on the podcasts, uh, but I haven't come across you mentioning how you got into gaming. I haven't talked about this in a while, and I hint at it a little bit. I I recently did an interview with uh, some friends of mine on a podcast called The Spoken Token, but I didn't fully get into it. So I guess it's it's been a while, so I I can do that for you real quick. I started, uh... I started playing in college. This was only a few years ago. I'm I'm in my mid twenties. Oh so. wow, man! Look, you got the headphones on. I can't see the greenness of uh, the back <laughs> of your ears there. <laughs> but yeah, I've I've only been playing for I don't know five six years at this point. Uh, but you know, basically, I was into a whole bunch of you know comics fantasy novels all that kind of stuff everything except for gaming and there's a little bit of satanic panic in that from my parents oh really yeah i didn't realize that was still a thing my mom grew up in the 80s uh in in the south going to like a a super uh kind of fundamentalist baptist christian school so i'm sure she heard a lot about how uh, Dungeons and Dragons was about summoning demons and stuff like that. And for some reason, it didn't sink in anywhere else but when I said I want to play D&D. That was kind of a problem. <laughs> Trigger right there. But, you know, in college, I'm like, I'm, a, I'm my own man. I can I can do whatever I want now. Uh, I'm going to go play D&D. And I just fell in love with it. And I was... I mean, I was like in theater in high school, and I was already into nerdy stuff. It was basically designed for me. Yeah, I was gonna uh, say, man, with with your with what you just said there and what you're into, man, I can't believe you made it all the way to college without playing. Yeah, but I, I mean, I was on it like a fiend at that point. Um, <laughs> I, 
it, it has been it has been a uh, short but very passionate love affair with uh, with gaming uh, that's just kind of continued to evolve and grow. So I guess it's here to stay. <laughs> Good. And I started with uh, with fifth edition. Pretty much exclusively played fifth edition up until a couple years ago. Now that would have been when it was just launching, right? You yeah. said about five six years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, it was. It was. Yeah, like when I started, I think I think I started before they even put out the first uh, supplement, Sword Coast Adventures Guide. I'm pretty sure I beat that book uh, to playing. I'm pretty sure there were just three books when I started. Mm. Wow. That's cool. Mm. Did it imprint on you? I mean, I know you, you said that you kind of are getting into the old school stuff, but, uh, you know, I know for me, you know, uh, that, that first run of the the red box uh you know it, it imprinted on me even even though it's got some flaws in it i still it's one of my most beloved versions of D. but that was you know first exposure oh yeah i i have a lot of i have a lot of love for 5e um i have some problems with it but for the most part i think it's a very good system i enjoy it it's you know something i could teach to just about anyone um it's the game I learned to to play in, and the game I learned to GM. So, you know, it's it's always gonna it's always gonna have a special place in my heart, and it's the game that I play most often, even today, because everyone knows D anD D. Yeah. But yeah, that's that's my origin story, more or less. I appreciate that. That's cool. Now you mentioned your your first character, the uh, the skeleton. Uh, warrior, uh, do, do you remember the skeleton warrior's name? Oh man, it, I don't know, but at the time, it was probably the most uh, wildest, coolest, badassest thing I could have <laughs> thought of, and it was probably to date, looking back, the silliest, goofiest thing I could have probably came up with. <laughs> mm-hmm. Who uh, who's the first like memorable character that you you played? All right, so I had a, a wizard named Arwen. Uh, played by the legitimate rules, uh, you know, starting off with a D4 hit die, uh, one spell to, to go off of, and a couple daggers to throw, <laughs> and uh, played him through junior high. Uh, I think he got up to ninth level or maybe tenth legitimately. Hmm. So, gotcha. still have him back in a Ziploc baggie of all my favorite characters. Hmm. How nerdy is that, you know? Yeah. Now, now, does Arwen ever make an appearance in any uh, like games that you run or anything like that? Do you, no. are you the kind of GM that? Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah, that's a good idea, though. I, I really should figure out some way to kind of start dropping, you know, Easter eggs that make me happy into some of this stuff. I have my first character was a ranger, Cromwell McGuinn. He was the rangeriest ranger to ever ranger, <laughs> as I like to say. I, I also describe him as Aragorby one Kenobi because he very much was. Um, but I, again, I played this character for three years, uh, kind of, you know, throughout college. I did, my, my first campaign was a prequel to the game that uh, I was playing in uh, with all the same players. And they got to meet, like, the younger version of my character, uh, th- just throughout the course of the game, they ran into him a couple times. Uh, but I've now pushed him as an NPC on every single group that I've run for, uh, including a group in Dark Sun. 
and in some games there are in fact two versions of him running around because i <laughs> my my the earth two version yeah my, my original cromwell got to 20th level and i've decided that in his old age so he's like 75 80 years old hopping planes <laughs> at this point just like I haven't decided why he's just randomly hopping planes, but he is. And so everyone keeps running into both him and the the Cromwell of their universe. <laughs> Do you have an idea what happens if, when one Cromwell meets another? You know, does it nullify time? Oh, I haven't had that happen Back to the yet. future scenario? Oh, that, that would be... It seems like that would be bad. <laughs> yeah. Paradox, oh no! So, when it comes to both running games and playing games, uh, you know, we all kind of develop our own unique styles. What would you say your your style of play is, and then your style of uh, like GMing? Huh. Uh, well, one thing I, I don't like to use miniatures. Uh, I have nothing against people that do, um, <laughs> but at this point in my life, I don't have the time to, to paint them and develop all that. And uh, I got this theory that. Using miniatures, uh, it, it kind of locks a person's imagination into what they're seeing on the table. Hmm. Uh, whereas, you know, if you go more theater of the mind, uh, it, it makes a, a more richer image than you could possibly present with, with actual representations on the table. Uh, but then, on the other hand, I don't like the idea of it being all theater of mind where there's nothing really for the player to be inspired by um, to, to make choices and to make... Uh, you know, little nuanced um, tactical moves and that sort of thing. So I typically like to have a map out, and I like to use little square counting cubes. I don't have any near me to show you, but um, I'm actually a teacher's my day job. So I had all these little, little tiny, like one centimeter stackable colored cubes, and I have thousands of them. So, you know, you need an orc army. Okay, these green ones here, boom, orc army, you know. And uh, that way the players can kind of see where they're at. The map gives them an idea of what terrain is around them and gives them maybe some inspiration as to, oh, you know, we can swing across the chandelier and go over to those stairs and attack with our bows from there. Uh, stuff like that. Um, I like to do the voices, though I'm not very good at them. <laughs> and uh, I, I like to kind of, you know, roll from the cuff. Uh, I'll use the rules until they get in my way of letting the players have fun or, or helping to make the story come to a you know, a, a, an ebb and flow like I wanted to. And then the rules are out the window and I, you know, kind of make up something and go with it. <laughs> gotcha. What subject do you teach? Uh, so I'm a special education teacher, um, okay. gotcha. specifically working with kids with emotional and uh, behavioral disabilities. And then particularly I teach uh, fifth and sixth grade science and math. Gotcha. gotcha. And that's one of the other reasons I go by Lou Alou is I try to somewhat distance my school life from my gaming life okay. not that i'm embarrassed by it but just you know I, I hate for a kid to to get on here and hear me say a word or something that i should have said and then you know, bring that into school or whatever. Mm -hmm. i i'm fairly certain that uh, professor dungeon master does that for the same reasons <laughs> uh now have you ever tried to like incorporate role playing into uh your your teaching at all or, or run games for your students for sure, yeah. Um, a couple instances of it. One of my uh, things that I did early on, uh, this is, you know, I've been in teaching 24 years, 23 years, somewhere in there, uh, 20, 
24 coming up here. Uh, anyhow, um, when I first started, one of the things I did is I had a, a bulletin board of this like planet with a bunch of craters and some mountains and just you know some kind of drawn out terrain, and uh, I had these little you know, like uh, cutouts of spacemen. And as the kids accomplished different things, this was back when I was teaching elementary school, as they accomplished things in their math course, you know, like they mastered their multiplication table or whatever, uh, they got to do different things, like kind of move around the planet and explore things. And there would be some aliens hiding in there and some treasures to be found and that sort of thing. It, it wasn't, you know, high-end role-playing, but it was getting towards that. And it held their interest and motivated them to, to try to accomplish what they could. Gotcha. And then uh, the... I'm oh, sorry. Uh, the Dare Luck Club, actually, um, in its prototype form, uh, this is more than 10 years ago, um, it, I designed it trying to make the, the simplest role-playing game I could uh, because I run a gaming club at school, and I wanted to introduce something that was was not D&D just so I didn't have any parents bugging out about it because I still had that in my mind from when <laughs> I was a kid. And then, you know, also have it be simple enough that, you know, without explaining the rules for you know half an hour or whatever we can just jump in and the kids will know how to play yeah honestly role-playing uh like elfie has alluded to here in chat role-playing is something that i think really would have helped me in my uh my math education uh because i always hated math growing up i was better at history and reading and and things like that writing uh, but math I always struggled with. And then I found out that if you put something on a character sheet, uh, <laughs> doing math in my head uh, becomes a lot easier for me. And so, it, like, in real life now, when whenever people who know me are like, what is this times this? Or, you know, they're asking a math question. I'm like, I, I don't know. Put it on a character sheet and I can tell you. <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, a lot of guys my generation or, or even probably older uh, – you know, you take away role-playing games, you take away comic books, and we'd be complete idiots. Because most of us, that's how we learned to do uh, reading and math and that sort of thing. It, you know, back then, the nature of the games, it required a lot more use of formulas and things. Mm. And, you know, it got you into reading history. and uh, it, it did a tremendous amount for my education. Yeah, absolutely. After, after the show, uh, remind me to tell you about a game system for kids that some friends of mine uh, put together. I've talked about it on the show oh, before, awesome. but I, I want to I talk with you a little bit about that. Yeah, I'd love that. It, speaking of game systems, I, uh, tell me a little bit about yours. I, I heard it mentioned in one uh, earlier episode that I was listening to. Um, I, I don't have much knowledge of it. I'd love to, to hear about it, if you don't mind taking a moment in the show. Oh yeah, Night Haven. Um, yeah. I am currently developing a. Uh, it'll be a setting with an adventure to start with. Uh, for fifth edition, I'm probably going to expand it to Dungeon Crawl Classics once I have the fifth edition set and I know kind of you know where I'm going to go with that. Uh, but it's basically a city-based campaign setting uh, in a world that has like developed basically renaissance uh age of exploration level technology oh nice uh so there are firearms there are airships things like that but uh it's it's very like renaissance -y. it's not it's mm -hmm. not so much steampunk it's more uh like 
if if all of Da Vinci's drawings were like created in in the real world, that's the level <laughs> of technology we'd be looking that's cool. at. Um, and it's set in a city which is half covered in darkness at all times because it sits next to this giant mountain range, which is actually the fossilized body of a uh, ancient the elder god. Yeah, elder gods. The giant, elder gods. Well, yeah. giant dragon. <laughs> a giant oh, dragon that crashed better. into the planet and uh like has fossilized and the ore and stuff that you find inside uh this mountain it's it's beyond just like the regular metals and stuff that's where uh that's where gunpowder was discovered it's it's fossilized dragon breath mm, the organ meets the best <laughs> yep absolutely and there's there's all kinds of like crazy stuff in there there's this uh super durable but super lightweight version of of iron ore that can be found that's turned into night steel uh which becomes very necessary in the city for various reasons but i'm actually going to be running that uh next week i'm going to do the first session of a campaign here on the show uh set in that setting and then i'll be like putting the book together and, and trying to kickstart it and everything sweet yeah i tell you uh, some advice that skeeter green gave me uh back it was Gary Khan last uh, this last Gary Khan, um, he was saying when he was designing the uh, oh man I can't believe I'm blanking on his title uh, the science yes science wizard yeah um, the the first one he wrote it up uh, for five e first and then tried to convert it to the other you know to DCC and MCC mm -hmm. uh, and I think maybe Swords of Wizardry but um, he said that it it really didn't have the flavor for DCC and MCC that he would have wanted it to have because designing with that tool set uh, it, it is a totally different thing than 5e. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. And that uh, is interesting. I guess this next version, because it's all going to the, I think it's called the Black Tower, uh, mm -hmm. I don't know if it's a trilogy or whatever, but the, it, it's actually the beginning of a link of modules. Um, he was saying going into this next one, he's actually starting to design it with uh, the DCC rules in mind and it's you know taking on a different life because of that so something to look look for when you're you know mm -hmm. putting the uh, setting into both systems uh, you know how does that affect your choices or what you can do or how you do it yeah kind of a neat thing yeah and i it's probably gonna be a while before i'm able to make it in dcc because i just started with that system at north texas it's I've like not, crack, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It, <laughs> that is a super, super addictive game. And I, I haven't tricked anyone into uh, playing it yet. I haven't run it yet, but, I mean, that's coming. Someone's going to someone's gonna fall into that little little pit trap. <laughs> and I say, you want know, to play some D&D? &D? And they come over and I set DCC on the table. I'm like, it's kind of like D&D. &D. Let's do this. <laughs> 3D6 yeah, it's, in it's order. It's awesome. <laughs> I, uh... I got into MCC um, just before, eh, maybe about like two months before everything kind of went on shutdown, mm -hmm. and had been telling everybody about it, telling everybody about it, and finally got my local gaming group to get online and give it a try, and now everybody's bought the rule book, and uh, we've been campaigning through it for like, I don't know what it's been, you know, 10 months now or whatever, mm -hmm. uh, so it is, it's a good system, it, it it's, breathes new life back into the, the fantasy tropes and whatnot, it's wonderful gotcha gotcha now um 
when it comes to, you know, those of us who spend a lot of time in this hobby, we, we do so and we dedicate so much of our time to it because we have so many fond memories of playing games or running games ourselves. So if you had to pick a fondest RPG memory, what would that be? You know, like your first experiences, I think, are some of the sweetest. And uh, buddy of mine, Dan Rampala, who I guess is a big psychologist nowadays, but uh, he ran me through my first true by the rules adventure, which uh, was actually Isle of Dread. And uh, there was a point that uh, my character was on one of the islands that skirts the main island where all the dinosaurs are. And uh, I, I can't remember what it was. I want to say it was a T-Rex, but I don't think it was. I think it was probably something less harmful. But uh, there was a stampede of dinosaurs, and there was nothing I could do. And it was, you know, it was about on me. And so I was like, okay, man, I, I just lay down and I grab my arrows and I stick them upright, you know, laying down, you know, pointing them up into the air. And uh, he, he let it be that, you know, the, the foot of the dinosaur hits the arrows and it immediately, you know, rears up and uh, I'm able to roll out of the way and not get squashed. Hmm. So uh, that's one of my faves. Gotcha. Now, um, unfortunately, there there are some uh, some times where this hobby of ours can uh, can let us down. We play <laughs> with all kinds of players some of them we really click with, some of them we don't so much, and then there's that guy. <laughs> that, that guy. The guy who's You hope out. it's not you. Yeah. If you don't have that guy, it probably is you. <laughs> you. You do hope it's not you, but if you have a that guy story that you're comfortable sharing on the air, uh, uh-huh. that, that you think would be entertaining as well as informative, uh, please share it with us. All right. Uh, I've got lots of that guy stories. Um there's a, a local comic shop called Castles Comics and Cards. And for the breadth of my adult life, uh, they've let me run games down there. And uh, I've always had the policy that since it's their store, anyone that's interested can come sit at my table and play. And that's a great policy for evangelizing the game, but uh, it's a terrible policy for avoiding that guy. Cause that guy, <laughs> somebody's always gonna show up and be that guy, you know? Um, so we've had uh, we've had players that just blatantly are cheating. Um, one of the uh, one of my worst that guy stories is uh, there was a guy that was in the gaming group, and and we also kind of had the policy that if you wanted a game master, we would kind of you know share the conch shell or whatever, and you got a chance to game master. And every time he game mastered, uh, his games were always completely centric around his NPC character and his NPC character was always the, the, you know, uh, what, uh, uh, dang on, I can't think of the term, uh, dude, Mac and I, the, uh, you know, the, the God of the machine. Yeah. Yes. Yes. That, that <laughs> nice Latin there. Um, but he was always the guy that saved us before we even had a chance to figure anything out And oh man, it's just like we, we over a quick couple of months all found things that were going on on Sundays that we couldn't make it to gaming anymore. <laughs> so, uh, I had uh, every time I hear that word now, uh, I think of my English teacher uh, who. Yes, the Mary Sue. Yes. Yeah. My... <laughs> Wesley Crusher. <laughs> Absolutely. Sorry. But I think of my English teacher who, for some reason, couldn't pronounce words. Um, I don't know what it was. She just like could not for the life of her. Uh, pronounce words right ever 
she tried to convince us at one point, like completely serious, that misled was pronounced misled. <laughs> I like it, misled. You misled me, man. <laughs> you What's really misled me on this one. <laughs> but uh, Deus Ex Machina, uh, when she was explaining that to us, she called it Deus Ex Machina. And even as like a seventeen-year-old, I was like, "That's not right." That's. Well, I'm terrible about it. Uh, I, I, I've gotten better uh, as time has gone on, but um, God rest my parents' souls. They, they were wonderful people, and they really provided for me and my brother. But, but they they were sort of hillbillies to some extent. We we lived in a little house near a swamp, and uh, um, uh, so the word cacophony, right? I love this word. It's a beautiful word to use in gaming. Um, but it was taught to me by my mother as cacophony. <laughs> What's that cacophony? And, and in my opinion, that's a better, you know, it, it kind of exudes the meaning of that word a little mm-hmm. better, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. Cacophony. Cacophony. <laughs> but it's wrong. So, so uh, last of these kind of introductory questions here, and then we're going to talk some about Dare Luck Club, which is a absolutely fascinating and interesting uh, book here. Thank you. Uh, and this question is going to take a little bit of a different form because we have Lou Alu with us tonight. <laughs> uh, so, as philosophical or as sophomoric as you want to get here, if you could put anything on a Hawaiian shirt, <laughs> what would it be? Oh, man. There's so many things on Hawaiian shirts nowadays. It's hard it's to true. find something original. Um, you know, if, if I were Watsi. I think it'd be cool to have a wine shirt that had all the covers of all the different versions of AD&D and D&D um, and all the supplement books just kind of, you know, randomly on the, on the shirt. I would, I would, you could charge a hundred bucks and I'm a buyer, man. Oh yeah. Yeah. My, uh, my Hawaiian shirt collection, uh, cause I get that question. Why Lou Al Lou? Uh, so as a teacher every year since I started, I always buy a Hawaiian shirt just before the new school year starts. Mm-hmm. So I have a collection of 20 some shirts and I'm about to go buy another one for this school year. Uh, and, and people at school kind of get to where, you know, they see me bopping down the hall and uh, luau lu, you know. <laughs> so. Now along those same lines, cause you've got my, you've got my imagination whirring here with uh, like specific, uh, specific crazy Hawaiian shirts uh, with D&D <laughs> themes. If Watsi put one with a bunch of beholders on it, uh, they'd have oh. my money immediately because I love beholders. Beholder can and everything, right? Yeah, and then yeah. if they had one with, like, Errol Otis monsters of different, like, varieties on it, or just, like, That'd a whole bunch of, like, one uh, from all across the different artists, just with all of those on a Hawaiian shirt, I'd, I'd wear that, too. Or, or how about a, a shirt of dragons, all the different chromatic and metal dragons all kind of intertwined, you know, have that oh, kind yeah. of flower pattern kind of look. That'd be cool. Absolutely. And, we need uh, to go into business. We need to start making shirts. So oh, yeah. get this RPG stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. If only, if only we could get those beholder rights. <laughs> yeah. Although I guess, I guess if Reaper miniatures can put out what's essentially a beholder and call it an eye tyrant maybe we can have like a picture of oh, a beholder yeah. and be like the the eye monster shirt <laughs> yeah everybody has one of those with the uh, serial numbers filed off of it you yeah. know the, the onlooker the the beyonder the yeah 
great. And in chat here, uh, Manticore Mike, uh, my good friend Shag, he is uh, he's joining us. So Shag, welcome. Hey Shag. And uh, you know, set, now that we're through these uh, introductory questions, let's talk a little bit about Dare Luck Club. Um, and I want to do a little bit of a preamble here because. This is something that, this is a particular genre that in the past I've been very allergic to. Uh, and I, <laughs> I blame, well, one, I blame my hatred of stories that are focused on, like, children and teenagers. Because uh, so often it's pretense for melodrama, which I really don't like. But I also blame Stranger Things. Because... <laughs> oh. I bounced hard off of Stranger Things, and it's really? probably because I was told I was supposed to like it. Uh. But as soon as everyone was like, it's D&D, &D and it's 80s nostalgia, I'm like, I was not alive in the 80s. And, <laughs> uh, yes, they talk about D&D, &D, but I think Mike is a crappy GM, so... For sure. Yeah, it, you know, uh, be, having, you know, like it, it should be like exactly where I'm at, right? Because that was yeah. when I was in gaming and, you know, I totally experienced that kind of childhood minus all the supernatural stuff. Mm -hmm. uh, but um, but it, yeah, it's not my favorite show, I got to say. Yeah. Um, it, and I really do feel like it's like almost like paint by numbers. Like, you know, we're going to have these kind of bicycles and we're going to talk about this video game and we're going to throw in... And everybody in the 80s is going to love it because we hit all their, you know, sweet spots. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, it almost feels a little bit like it's pandering a little. Mm -hmm. But uh, nonetheless, I enjoy it somewhat anyhow. It's, it's not my favorite, but I think it's solid. Oh, yeah. it's Stranger Things is almost like the Goldbergs in that they just kind of randomly bounce around the 80s from episode uh -huh. to episode. But they don't <laughs> have the, the pretext of being a comedy show that's yes. intentionally, like... It was night. It starts with it was nineteen eighty something, and it's just gonna <laughs> we're gonna cover a whole ten year span in like the two scenes. Yeah, but <laughs> all that to say, um, this book is fantastic. You oh, you. you've really captured the feeling of something like uh, Monster Squad or the Goonies, or even, you know, something like the Sandlot, or from kind of more my era, the Little Giants, or Max Keeble's Big Move, that that group of friends that come together uh, to, you know, go on crazy adventures, that that's what Dare Luck Club is, for anyone who is unfamiliar with it. You capture that feeling brilliantly. Uh, so hats off to you for, for doing that, because this is... Uh, this really is a uh, a fantastically flavored book and a uh, a pretty pretty cool uh, game, kind of with with that flavor that allows for a lot of you know cool things to happen in it. Wow, man! I I need to like record that and play it back to me uh, every other day to kind of keep me going. That's great. Thank you. Uh, you know the the thing about this game. Um, because the question I almost always get when I'm when someone's saying, "Hey, you know, sell your game to me." Uh, and, and they say, because, you know, there's kids on bikes and there's tells from the loop mm -hmm. and why do I need Dare Luck Club? And the, the thing with Dare Luck Club is it, it actually, I, I had no knowledge of Stranger Things and no knowledge of either of those games when I started this one. I mean, about 10 years ago, I was toying with the mechanics of it, 
trying to get it, you know, as simple as I could. And then it actually took on the, the Goonies flavor that it has uh, about mm, seven years ago, 2015, uh, six years, I guess. Um, but then in the middle of developing it, I had this, this big tragedy happen. Uh, uh, there was an accident that, that killed my mother and, and my kids were involved in it and just a lot of trauma. Had to take care of my mom's estate. And um, so it kind of got put on the shelf. And then by the time I got around to where I could start working on it again, there are these other games out there. I was like, ah, you know, there's maybe not, you know, it's a niche anyhow. There's probably not room for, you know, three games about adolescence on adventure. But um, kind of going back to something you said there, the other two games, they are great games and, and uh, they're, you know, worth purchasing on their own right. I'm not trying to badmouth anything about them, <laughs> but they have design choices and style choices that are very different from Dare Luck Club. Um, Dare Luck Club tries to be uh, really anchored in the, the 70s and 80s. I mean, it's it does say in the book that you can play any era. I mean, you can go back and do like a little Rascals 1930s kind of thing if you wanted. Um, but it doesn't have like the the modern melodrama that a lot of the youth of today experience. Right. Uh, and, and that's not to say there wasn't that kind of experience in the 80s, but most of the kids in the 80s that were in the Midwest that, that you know, are, are kind of my contemporaries. Most of us had happy-go-lucky childhoods. Uh, you know, we were, you know, the, the, your parents would lock the door when you left to play and they'd say, you know, hey, dinner's at six, be back on time, but not beforehand. Yeah. <laughs> and you'd go out in the world and explore it. And I tried to really capture that with this. Um, it's, uh, it's really about making that, that misfit band of kids that stumble onto something that just nobody's going to believe and, and they have to take care of it. Uh, and it's got, um, this is a hard sell. Um, it's got what I like to call old school aesthetic to it. Mm -hmm. But uh, a lot of people are like, nah, you know, it's, it's, there were no games like this back in the 70s. Uh, this is not old school. But if you look at the setup, uh, it's got a real slim set of rules that are intended to be tools that the game master uses however he or she wants to. Um, and it's really about, uh, the, the characters are about how you use them, not what they have to offer. In other words, uh, you know, in, in modern role playing, and again, this is not anything bad. This is just a different style. Um, you have a character sheet that goes on for two pages, usually has all sorts of like skills and feats and this and that, um, mm -hmm. a dare luck club character, uh, let me grab. So this is, uh. This is a character sheet here. The bottom half doesn't even need to be there. The bottom half is uh, you as a player can kind of suggest some things to your game master about what uh, what your character, uh, you know, like who your enemies are and, you know, things they're trying to find in the, out in the, the town and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. the, the, the meat and potatoes, the, you know, the attributes and stuff that you actually roll all fit up into this top half of the sheet of paper. Um, so uh, it's... Um, you know, it, 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 when people play it, uh, most of them have that sense. They come into it a lot of times being drug in by their friends. And they have that sense that I don't want to play a game where I'm a kid, you know. I don't want to be, you know. Uh, but then they get into it and they realize that it's, it's really a game about minimalism. About taking what little you have and going as far as you can with it. And uh, 
putting on that persona of this misfit kid doing goofy things and making weird choices and, and just having fun with it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and to speak a little bit to something you said there, um, I'm going to, I'm going to keep pushing this as, as often and as loudly as I can. OSR is a state of mind. It's not uh -huh. a specific rule set. It is, it is the summation, my character by all rights should die, here's how I am going to make them not in this situation. <laughs> that's, that's OSR. You can do that with any number of rule systems, whether or not it's based on OD&D or not. That is the, like, that's the core beating heart of what OSR should be. So, you know, by, with that in mind, with this, uh, you know, system that you have here, I, I definitely think that qualifies. So... I think as a movement, we need to kind of adopt that <laughs> outlook. Otherwise, people are just going to be like, well, I don't want to play that same game that came out in the 1970s mm. for the rest of eternity. Uh, <laughs> you know, let, let's try some of this new stuff and let's let's see what kind of room for innovation we have in here. So, yes, OSR is a state of mind. I'm, I'm just going to keep putting that out there. I tell you, uh, you had probably the best analogy I've ever heard for OSR. You called it the uh, the blue jeans of the RPG world. And you just kind of can go with anything. It's the you know old standby. I, I love that analogy you had. I actually stole that. I stole that ah. from Stu Horvath of uh, <laughs> Stu Horvath of the Vintage RPG Podcast, and he said it specifically uh, related to like D and D, whatever has the D and D logo on it. But yeah, OSR is it's the same way. It's blue jeans. Uh, so I guess if I if I take D and D out and put in OSR, I can start taking credit for that myself. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's like I tire, right? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> it's we're in the RPG business. We are all in the in the business of filing off serial numbers and putting yes. our own things in there. So yeah, it's all about who's the best thief. Yep. Yeah, as long as long as I'm not trying to like make money off of it at Stu's expense, I, we're all good. We're, we're good. <laughs> But yeah, just just to give everyone a little bit more of a uh, a hard sell here on Dare Luck Club, if you need the, to know the bona fides of this game, um, let me read out the attributes here, because this is <laughs> this is where I was sold. Your your core five attributes are scrap, spry, pluck, brains, and shenanigans, and you add those stats together to get the, like, uh, you know, combined stats of oomph for physical and marbles for mental. So <laughs> that, and, and that's, that is a, that's a stroke of brilliance. <laughs> yeah, the, the one thing I regret is that uh, three of them start with an S. Uh, from a design standpoint, it'd be really nice to, uh, to kind of, be able to put your attributes in, in, in a you know adventure write up with you know just one letter for each attribute, but I just couldn't help it. I, I, those those ones just sounded perfect, and I, I couldn't come up with anything else that wasn't all S's there. Mm -hmm. And another thing that I have to call out here, um, well, I mean, first of all, as I'm looking at this book here, uh, it's laid out like it's a a kid's notebook for anyone who really likes their, you know, aesthetic of uh, their games to really fit with kind of the theme of the game. So that's definitely here. A lot of these 
drawings, the the layouts, it all looks like a kid's notebook. <laughs> um, but one thing that I really like is the mischief mechanic here. The uh, it's kind of like in Savage Worlds when you have the edges and hindrances. It's a uh, you know a a thing that grants some kind of bonus, but also is in a role play sense detrimental to your character. It's stuff like uh, you know one of them is brace face, which has a penalty to uh, persuasion, and uh, you know daydreamer. Uh, got f's in fill in the blank where where your character, <laughs> the class your character is failing uh self-centered stinky wuss uh there there's one where uh you like have a foreign accent don't english good um <laughs> that, I, that's a favorite of players uh, in all the play tests somebody always thinks the foreign exchange student that i have is a pre-gen <laughs> and man i've heard everything heard a great russian accent uh swedish uh you name it man well, I mean, getting back to the Goonies, everyone loves uh, everyone loves Gadget. Mm-hmm. Data, yep. Data, that's right, Data. That's yeah. It. Everyone loves Data. No one yeah, loves one Short my... Round, but everyone loves Data. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. What a dichotomy. I never thought about that. <laughs> I, I think it's context. I think that's the key to it. In, in Goonies, Data is uh, like a... a integral part of the story he he helps he contributes uh if he wasn't there things would go horribly wrong uh whereas in temple of doom <laughs> he's short round is very much an annoyance yeah. <laughs> uh one of my favorite ones uh the uh, overactive imagination mischief mm-hmm. uh i i have had a lot of fun with that one where what it does is uh it allows the player to kind of screw over the other players that like, for instance, the club, maybe they're, I don't know, maybe they're crawling through a cave and there's, you know, like a spider web there. Uh, this player, in order to get what's called a reset of their uh, toy box, which uh, we can talk about that later, but that's a, a mechanic of the game. In order to get that reset, they can say, well, you know, it's not a spider. It's it's a giant spider. And then the game master has to be like, okay, yeah, it's a giant spider. <laughs> and then everybody's got to face this little thing that the uh, character threw at them. Uh, so it's gives a little bit of narrative control but uh it's, you, you can see some funny things happen when you got a clever player using that mm-hmm. and then uh to, to counter that along with the mischief you have the niftiness which is kind of the the edges equivalent here and these are also fantastic as well <laughs> um obsessed with the occult uh playground medic i love that <laughs> that's fantastic um so crazy it just might work uh yeah, you, you have the the child prodigy here for the kid who wants to uh like do all kinds of crazy mental things i think of the kid in uh one of my favorite of these like kid gang movies the little giants who has the computer where he types up the plays for the football <laughs> team comes up with the annexation of puerto rico <laughs> oh, that's a good one yeah, it, uh, it was fun coming up with those and, and uh, with uh, some of the adventures that uh, go with the, the game system. They've got some additional ones uh, if, if you're interested in them. Um, some of the pre-gens that are in those adventure modules, I've got two of them out now with the third one hopefully out before uh, Halloween. Um, some of those pre-gens are testing some of the new 
niftinesses and mischiefs that I hope to get out a supplement somewhere down in the future here. Absolutely. But yeah, the uh, like you said here, the the rules are great and they uh, you know have a lot of great flavor, but they they don't seem to really get in the way. This is very much the uh, what I'm now calling the holy trinity of RPGs, whereas it's uh, very much for for a lot of modern games, it's what's on your sheet and what's in the book. Uh, whereas the Holy Trinity, in my mind, is what's in the book, what's on your sheet, and what's in your brain. And so this like game it. very much allows for you to uh, use your brain without having to rely so much on, okay, what's the mechanic for this particular thing? So, again, OSR is a state of mind, and you nailed it. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, uh, I refer to this game as my uh, least inventive rule set that's the most experimental because I really tried to say, you know, what is the, the least amount of stuff that you have to have as a player to feel like your character is unique and to be able to get into that character? And then that's that's the baseline for the game. You know, those five attributes. Uh, and then, you know, characters will have maybe one or two mischiefs, one or two of the uh, niftinesses. And that's enough. And people have a blast playing it. And uh, it, it just it, it hit, you know, just where it needed to improve to me that, you know, you don't have to have a complexity of rules to have a complexity of persona in your characters. Hmm. Absolutely. Now, when it comes to this particular genre or subgenre of, of mostly movies and TV, uh, <laughs> what are some of your favorite examples of like the the kid gang, gang of friends <laughs> getting into uh, shenanigans that, in reality, would kill them? Yeah, so there's a there's a appendix in, uh, of course that's the only appendix, but it had to be named in right yep. because of the uh, D and it kind of covers some of the ones I was thinking of. Um, one of my favorites is this uh, old horror movie called The Gate, uh, and it involves this tree that falls over in a kid's yard, and the hole that it leaves is a portal to hell, <laughs> and the kid's parents go away on vacation, and his older sister's watching him. And this friend of his comes over and they realize that there's these creatures coming out of the portal and they got to be stopped. And uh, it, it's it's goofy. It's got some great claymation in it. Um, but, but that's a big inspiration. Um, the uh, River Phoenix movie, The Explorers, where the kids are visited by an alien intelligence that gives them uh, the, the nerd of the group a program to make a basically force field that can move. And then they use that to get up into space to visit the aliens. Uh, I thought that was awesome. Um, and, and, you know, there's modern ones that are great. I tell you, uh, Earth to Echo, I think it's called, is a movie that was made, I don't know, maybe five, six years ago. Um, and it's it, it really does the genre of adolescent adventures really well. These uh, mix of kids find an alien that they try to kind of help get back to the ship. Um, there's so many out there, man. Uh, so many good books, too. As, as far as modern ones go, did you ever see the movie Aliens in the Attic? Uh, I have seen part of that. My kids were watching it at one point, but I never did see it start to finish. Is it pretty good? It, that movie is, it's great. I consider that, now I, I didn't see Earth to Echo, and I think that came out after, but I consider that one of the last great examples of like a classic uh, kid gang in uh, supernatural shenanigans uh, <laughs> movies. Basically, these aliens come down, they're uh, small, 
but they have this uh, mind control weapon that for some reason only works on adult brains. So the kids are immune to it, but they can basically control any adult they want to. And these aliens are like a forward scouting party for a, uh, a full-on invasion. That's brilliant. I like that. But this... Yeah, you know... Go ahead. Oh, just this little girl like befriends one of the aliens, and then the other three aliens are still trying to complete their mission. And it's it's got the like paintball guns are used as weapons, and there's <laughs> there's all kinds of craziness that goes on. A kid's video game skills become very relevant to the plot at some point. <laughs> nice. It's like Last Star. Uh, what is it? Last Star Commander? No, that's not right. Last Star Fighter. Yeah. Fighter, yes, yep. that's what I was trying to do. Yeah, yeah. You know, people do not realize that's another thing when they're kind of doing that. No, I don't know about this game. Uh, you don't realize what sort of breadth there is in the genre of adolescent adventure. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's so many ways you can, you know, ETs in adolescent adventure. Yep. Um, you know, uh, uh, now my mind's just blanking on everything, but. Um, I guarantee if you think about movies and books you've read and, and uh, movies and TV shows you've seen, there's just such a breadth of stuff out there, um, you know, from, from stuff that deals with aliens to Monster Squad stuff to, you know, like a Stand By Me scenario where, you know, they're going out to try to find this body and become famous uh, or the body, as it was called in writing in, in the short story version. Um, it it's really uh, at least the first half is an adolescent adventure. Mm -hmm. Um and uh, I tried to make the system so that it, it could kind of manage any one of those kind of uh, stories. And, and it could even do some, if you wanted to go goofier and you wanted to do something like a, a Scooby-Doo adventure, you could kind of get zany and crazy like that. Or, or you can go, you know, Stranger Things and be real, you know, moody and dark and serious. Mm -hmm. I, I do love the supernatural ones, but I think my favorite of the uh, adolescent adventure genre is where it's reality based but reality is so like warped beyond recognition that it it becomes surreal um <laughs> i think max keeble's big move is my favorite example where there is literally an ice cream man who for some reason has an ice cream cannon on top of his <laughs> truck and he's chasing this this kid delivering papers for no reason just just because he's sadistic <laughs> and there's a principal who wants to shut down a uh, animal shelter to build a football field and ev all the all the like adult antagonists in the movie are just complete and completely and totally sadistic the bullies are like if these people existed in real life they'd be in prison um th there's a one of the bullies in that in max keeble's big move is basically like a uh a stockbroker hustler type he when he st when he steals kids lunch money he says they're making an investment he wears a suit and carries a briefcase <laughs> how rich man that's awesome it's, it's a it's a silly movie but i love it so much and uh that that's really what i love so much about the genre and when the genre gets it right it's just, you know, kids' fears taken to their ultimate extreme. It's it's things that 
would only kind of come out of the mind of a kid. And these kids are now having to deal with them in their real life. It's their nightmares or, you know, the, the, Realized, the surrealist yeah. dream that they have actually made manifest in front of them. And now they have to deal with it. And so for, for stories to capture that, uh, especially in role play, that is something that, you know, is awesome, in my opinion. I, I love that. Uh, one of the things I've been told that is fun to do is to, you know, roll up yourself and your, your gaming buddies as kids <laughs> and then set an adventure in your own hometown. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people have had fun doing that. Uh, I, I personally haven't done that, but then again, I, I'd probably make a terrible character as a kid but still. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's, this is one thing that I, I kind of wonder if this genre isn't going to disappear at some point just because of the way things have changed with how uh, adolescents and kids like interact with the world. Because, uh, I mean, this is born out of kids being free range, essentially, yeah. which my generation, uh, and I'm, I'm 25 years old, I was like the very last generation that came up that way. Because I remember... Um, you know, my mom saying, all right, you know, go out and play with your friends. Like you said, dinner's at six, uh, (laughs) be back on time. And, you know, my friends and I would go around the neighborhood and, you know, play all day on a Saturday or a summer day and, you know, do all kinds of crazy stuff because we didn't, we didn't have phones with internet access or anything like that. We, we had video games, but, you know, we, we played outside too. And a lot of you're right. Yeah. Yeah. A lot yeah, uh, of us kind of not there anymore. And when I talk to kids, they don't deal with the world that way. And I, I think we're gonna, I think we're gonna lose a genre just because of that. And and that kind of makes me sad in a way. And you, you're waxing poetic tonight, man. I, I never really thought about it, but that that is you know a, a serious thing. I mean, you know. Uh, you know, part of this is, is misfit kids hanging out together. And that was a real thing. Like I had friends of all different persuasions as a kid because you could only ride that bike so far. And the kids that were in that circle, they, they had to be your friends. That's the only people you had. You, you couldn't get on your Xbox and talk to some dude you never met or, you know, anything like that. I mean, it was, you know, uh, so you would put up with kids that you were kind of weird or whatever. Maybe you were the weird one. I don't know. But uh, it, it, and you would do goofy things. And uh, you're right. That that's uh, that's maybe dying out here. Mm-hmm. I mentioned in the book that one of the reasons I, I you know, kind of tilt it towards the 70s and 80s is the whole cell phone thing. Um, you know, you introduce a cell phone into one of these adventures, and a lot of the struggle, a lot of the, the fun and mystery of it's, you know, cut at the bud there. Um, you know, there's just so much you can do on those. You don't have to, you know, have the kids go to some weird library across town or, you know, they, they can easily find the answers to their problems instead of having to figure it out on their own or seek out people in town to help them with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, and I feel like I've gotten a little bit negative here. Uh, just just talking about this. Um, part of the reason why some of these things, like Stranger Things, like Kids on Bikes, 
not necessarily Tales from the Loop because that's tied in so much with the art that comes with mm-hmm. it. So it's kind of its own uh, unique thing. But a lot of that stuff kind of rings hollow for me because it's it's nostalgia based, and this whole genre's kind of nostalgia based. For sure. But the memories are becoming more and more distant. And it, it almost seems like, you know, returning to that era is becoming harder and harder. So that that window of authentic uh, experiences with these kind of adolescent story, sto- adolescent storytelling, it's closing in a weird way. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this is something like my generation is going to have to pick back up again or if this genre is going to completely morph and we're going to see I don't know movies about kids on like Facebook chats and the the (laughs) shenanigans they get up to on Fortnite or or whatever I sound like an old man I'm I swear I'm in my (laughs) mid-20s but yeah while these memories are here and while there are people who are uh, you know, experiencing these things and and ha- grew up this way. This is a great way to kind of you know relive and and fantasize those memories of of you and your group of friends from your neighborhood uh, running around the cul-de-sac. And uh, even though you probably didn't encounter uh, a vampire's coffin <laughs> in your uh, your next door neighbor's backyard, uh, what if you did? Mm-hmm. What's Mr. Smith got in his shit? You know, yeah, yeah, absolutely. But yeah, the the other two games again. I you know I don't want to say anything bad about them. They're great games, um, but but they don't quite hit the same note that Dare Luck does. Um, you know, obviously Tales from the Loop. You, you've got the ruins of these these big mecha and stuff uh, laying around, and everything's kind of tied back to this uh, you know accelerator that's underground. And I think that me- makes for a neat setting, but it doesn't necessarily hit the tones of, of what a you know childhood experience or a fantasyful childhood experience in the 70s and 80s would have been. And then Kids on Bikes, um, it, it has a certain moodiness to it, a certain uh, almost too close to the bone kind of thing going for it, where there are these relationships and, and um, you know personal... Uh, I don't know how to put it. It's it's just it's it's got a little more psychology and a little more. Um, I just can't find a good word for it tonight. But it it goes a little too close to the bone to me to make it fun and nostalgic. Because part of nostalgia is forgetting all the bad crap, you know, mm-hmm. just yeah. remembering the the good points. And and that's what I tried to hit with this game, uh, and why I, I went ahead and finished it out is because I, I feel like it fills that that space on your shelf that isn't already taken up by the other books mm-hmm. yeah absolutely and yeah there again for anyone who's interested in this there there are rules for not just is this vehicle in the game but this is how like a kid would interface <laughs> with like a backhoe <laughs> or uh you know th- like there's kid stuff in the, like a bicycle or a go-kart but also uh like there's an airplane. How, how would a kid interact with an airplane? And I love that, you know, that attention to detail is in this thing. Yeah, I think that's the one where I wrote up about, uh, you know, like in the 80s, uh, Flight Simulator had come out. And uh, that was a big, you know, Commodore 64 game. 
And uh, all us kids, man, we, we thought for sure we could fly a real plane because, man, I could land it on flight simulator. So. Mm-hmm. Craziness. Absolutely. But, yeah, that, again, I, I can't say enough about this uh, this particular game. And, again, this is, this is something that I, I wasn't expecting to be up my alley, but it's... Honestly, to sell this on one point in particular, it's the attention to detail and the the way that everything rings true to, you know, those movies or TV shows or real-life experiences uh, that, that a lot of us had. So, you know, I, I really just have to congratulate you on that because this, uh, this is a fantastic book. I, I, man, I super appreciate everything you're saying. It's, uh, you know, wonderful to hear that from somebody. And, uh, you know, I... I there are things I wish I could have done different. You know, uh, Dandelion Games is me, only me. Uh, and, uh, you know, when you're a small publisher, everything's out of pocket and you, you won't see return on what you're doing maybe ever. So, uh, you know, you look at this book, uh, I, it's, you know, I, I wrote the book. I uh, did the, the cartography in it. I did some of the illustrations in it. Uh, and, uh, you know, what money I did have, I tried to put into art and getting what great art I could get in it. I have, you know, I have some wonderful artists in this book. Uh, uh, San, um, Santi Ibora, Christopher Tupa, uh, Thomas Childress. Um, they did some wonderful pieces for it, but you can only afford so much. And one of the things I'm, I'm really hoping someday I'll be able to come back and maybe get a revised edition out there because I, I took the editing on myself, which is super no-no. I mean, if you're out there thinking of, being a small publisher, uh, if you have the funds, you've got to have your stuff edited by somebody else. I know this. I knew this going into this, but I had to make a choice between art or editing. And you know, I, I thought, well, I, I could probably give it a decent edit, and I feel like I did. There, there are still some mistakes and homophones here and there, but I think it's playable, and uh, most people enjoy it nonetheless. Um, and then, uh, you know, I've tried to been be kicking out some products to supplement it. We got a couple. Uh, for the adventures for this, I do these things called triple dog dares. So it's uh, what it is, is I make one map because that's usually the longest part of making an adventure. And uh, so like this uh, haunted house one, it's we got these maps to it. And then I try to make three adventures that anchor onto that map so that you have some choices and running, you know, different different games. So you got the haunted house one, I've got uh, Mayhem Museums, the newest one that I kind of kickstart, uh, what do you call it, not kickstarted, but uh, premiered at uh, North Texas. Um, then we got one with an amusement park coming up. And uh, I'll tell you, even if you're not interested in Dare Luck Club at all, uh, you'll go on to drive through uh, RPG and uh, the maps are all free in color and 17 by 11 format. I, I'm really proud of my work on these maps. These are all, you know, drawn on the computer, uh, all, all me. <laughs> um, I think they're fun. Most people like them. They can be used for other things. If you're not gonna play Dare Luck, at least get you a free map, man. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So this uh, this game lives on drive through, correct? Like th- that's where yes. people can go to to get it. Yeah, it's on drive through. Um, it's available through Amazon through Lulu. Uh, but honestly, the different printers I've looked at their their samples that they've sent me, and uh, I recommend drive through. I think they do a better quality job of uh, the ink because it is a, a colored book, so the, the ink in it's a little better and uh, the. If you get the hardbound version, especially the bindings, a lot better through drive-through. I feel. Gotcha. Now, as far as uh, 
more stuff from Dandelion Games. What's next? What, what's kind of the next thing coming up for you <laughs> that you're ready to talk about? Yeah, so if, if you've been on our Facebook page, uh, I am miserable at projecting a project and when it's going to be done. Um, <laughs> so um, the very next thing that we're trying to push out the door, uh, I'm working on getting a third-party license for Mutant Crawl Classics. Uh, it's one of my big favorite games right now. And uh, we're doing this thing. I don't know if I can get it in frame, but Classics Mutated. Uh, and what I'm doing there is I'm taking – you know, adventures we've all played through and loved, uh, starting with some of the D&D stuff, but I plan on branching out and kind of stealing from other uh, game systems as well. And I'm trying to reimagine them uh, in the MCC world. Like, you know, the first one is called Seekers of the Unknown, which is uh, uh, from the B1 module, uh, uh, Seeking the Unknown, or, um, in, I'm sorry, In Search of the Unknown. But uh, it's like, okay, you know, what, what would that be like at MCC? What, you know, so I've, you know, the, the wizard and the warrior instead, this is like a military compound, uh, that was developed by this great, you know, uh, military strategist and this kind of like Tony Stark, uh, futurist, uh, and, you know, you're going into the compound and finding, you know, what remains of, of their activities there. Uh, they were uh, kind of like defending us against some invasion from Mars. Uh, and there's some tie-ins with some of the mutant crawl stuff like Lingala and all that. Um, so that's coming out pretty soon. We're, we're, we'll, it'll be kickstarting pretty soon. I'm waiting on a, a few bits of art uh, and finishing up some maps. And then uh, for Dare Luck Club, uh, the next thing is called Manacious Midway. And it's a triple dog dare where you've got this uh, Jolly Time amusement park. It's kind of like a, you know, small town amusement park, you know. Uh, not quite your King's Island or your Disneyland or anything like that. Mm -hmm. But uh, there's three adventures there, excuse me, three adventures there that uh, focus on that map. Uh, in one adventure, your your club's pet dog has died. And uh, by playing some records backwards, you can supposedly, uh, there's this uh, spell that you can cast that'll bring things back to life. Uh, but you have to have a cauldron and the satanic panic thrill ride that's in that park happens to have a cauldron. So that starts to plot off. The kids are going to resurrect their pet dog. And of course, something goes awry and they bring in this, you know, elder God sort of thing. And they got to <laughs> run around and uh, try to undo what they've done. Um, and then uh, I'm real excited about there's one with aliens where one of the rides is actually being operated by aliens that are trying to steal the Earth's Polaritons. And uh, basically their planet and their dimension is on the brink of destruction. Uh, and they've got to basically steal Earth's time to give it to their planet so it can go on to exist. And they're using this ride to do it, and the kids become aware of this and have to stop that. And uh, Ed Brickford's going to do some art on that, which, I mean, these are mm -hmm. these are the classic 50s uh, bubble suit aliens, and he's just the guy to do oh, that art. Yes. Yeah, oh, real excited about that. And then I've got a, a, a my very first time I'm hiring someone else to do some writing for me. There's a, a writer, Jonathan Sullivan that's coming in uh, to do one of those adventures. So for me, that's kind of a delight to actually sit back and look at someone else's work and make it part of the, the Dare Luck, uh, you know, world. So, so that's what I got currently on the, on the cooker there. Gotcha. Awesome. Um, now I, I do have to ask you just a few questions here as, as we've kind of discussed, uh, stuff around this another one of my favorites in the genre and i i guess this qualifies as kind of a sub 
subgenre of the adolescent adventure. Uh, kind of the boy and his fill-in-the-blank supernatural thing. Um, what I'm hinting at here is the Iron Giant. Are you familiar with that uh, movie? Oh, yes. Like oh, it? I love it. It's the most underrated movie that's probably ever been made. Mm-hmm. Love that movie. That one and Treasure Planet. Those are two that if you've not oh. seen them, if you don't own them, you got to go buy them. They are just, I can't believe these were not box office, you know, smashers. They, they're just fantastic. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Yeah, the I, I have a VHS copy of the Iron Giant sitting around here. I don't even <laughs> think I have a working VCR, but I'm not going to I'm not going to get rid of my VHS copy of the Iron Giant where I very clearly cut the front of the VHS because that was during the time where somehow in the factory they stuffed like an action figure in the plastic really? uh, sleeve of the VHS. So they're, they're, and, and instead of trying to reach in and pull it out, I just cut it open. So there's a flat <laughs> cut in the, on, on the front of my Iron Giant box where I pulled out the Iron Giant action figure which I wish I still had, but I have no idea where that thing is, but I still have the VHS. (laughs) So one of the things that's not really in production in any real shape or form other than a a spiral notebook of notes, um, I'm looking at doing a book. I think I'm going to call it something like Dare Luck Club Extracurricular or something like that. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. I'm I'm presuming where you're going with this. Um, (laughs) And and in that book, I, I intend to introduce rules for having like you know, your faithful pet as a player character or, you know, some supernatural things. If you wanted to do like, you know, having a, you know, iron giant or, or my pet monster or whatever. Uh, or if you wanted to, you know, characters that had, you know, like a Harry Potter sort of thing, where maybe they have some really weird, you know, spell powers or superhero powers or something like that, or playing as an adult uh, that's somehow associated with the kids or maybe older teens. So that's kind of a, a little, note in a notebook right now but hopefully uh within a year or so i can get to that yeah that that kind of thing well it would be awesome for like base uh dare luck but if you introduced that in conjunction with like let's say you can only get one player uh so you'd have like a player a gm and then some kind of crazy uh supernatural sci-fi thing like the iron giant like uh, a monster that you found somewhere, something like that, um, where you could just support an adventure with one player and this crazy object sidekick, or yeah. uh, sidekick that that the government's trying to get to, or, or whatever. <laughs> that that could be an interesting way to go. I don't know if you've already done that or if that's something you know you you're even interested in doing, but that could be no, a it, way it, to go with that. Yeah, no, I haven't done anything like that yet, um, but it's it's definitely something that fits within the genre and, and probably needs some homage, you know. Um, the, uh, there's a mechanic in the base rule book where you can have a pet and you have, uh, this is one of the niftinesses, where you have like basically a pool of dice that represent that pet. And then it can do things for you rolling out of that pool of dice until the pool's gone. Um, so I don't know, it could definitely put together some adventure that, that has that sidekick represented probably in that kind of fashion. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I, you know, that's an interesting thing too. Uh, you know, one-on-one play that, you know, back in the day, there were lots of modules set up to be a, a one-on-one game master player, uh, and even solo modules. And 
you know, that'd be an interesting thing to experiment on is, is trying to design something like that that really pulls it off and still gives you the full feel of a role-playing game. Hmm. Absolutely. And if you can get Ed Bickford to draw you the Iron Giant. <laughs> <laughs> Who else, man? Who else? Absolutely. He's just fantastic on that stuff. Oh, my goodness. And then the, uh, the the last thing that came to me as I was talking about this, I, I've almost completely forgotten about this, uh, but it just kind of came flooding back. Uh, Nickelodeon, as I was growing up, did kind of keep the genre going with uh, one of my favorite shows as a kid that unfortunately does not hold up upon rewatch. <laughs> uh, the, the movie's still good, but the show, not so much. Jimmy Neutron Boy Genius is uh, very yes. much... Uh, within the genre, and he does have a group of friends who all have their own idiosyncrasies. So that that would be something to uh, latch on to for people of my generation who remember that show. If you uh, if you are thinking about giving Dare Luck Club a try, you know you know think Jimmy Neutron. That mm-hmm. that'll be a good point of entry for uh, for people my age. Yeah, uh, it, it, like I said, it, it's amazing when you really you sit down, and you start coming up with ones like uh, "Honey, I Shrunk the Kids." Mm-hmm. Uh, that's you know before your time, but it's pretty you know relatively still a you know a classic movie. I mean, that's really an adolescent adventure movie. You know, yeah. uh, uh, when I was a kid, there was a well, not really a kid. I guess I was kind of in high school at this point. But um, Erie, Indiana, was a TV series that reminded me a little bit of the uh, the series you were referring to earlier with the the ice cream truck that shot ice cream. Yeah. Um, but it had just a, a setting that was just this weird neighborhood where, you know, no holds barred things were, you know, just, you couldn't believe it. Uh, but uh, I think that one's on Netflix right now. But yeah. It's, it, there's just a, a wealth of, you know, inspiration out there for running these kind of stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shag and Chad here is talking about goosebumps. Yeah. yeah that, that's another big one. Uh, Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark? Uh-huh. It's, on an unrelated note, it's interesting to go back and watch uh, Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark and see, like, uh, semi-famous Canadian actors as kids. <laughs> I think there's, there's an episode of uh, Goosebumps where Hayden Christensen from uh, from Star Wars is uh, the main character. <laughs> Oh man, yeah, it's uh, I love that when you you spot someone in a movie and you pause it, like I think that kid is, and it turns out to be them. That's that's some of the best, man. I have I've irritated my wife so many times in so many different shows. Just like a guest actor will come on, I'll be like, that's that guy. I remember uh, we were watching The Nanny and uh, James Marsden when he was like <laughs> in his early twenties shows up on there i'm like that's james marsden and she's like who and i go cyclops that's cyclops (laughs) Cyclops. and it turned it was him and i was like yes i'm i'm really good at that it's it's my uh and yes it's usually jeffrey combs yes jeffrey combs (laughs) if it's star trek it's jeffrey combs but yeah that that's my uh superpower i don't know if that's available in uh, in the Derelict <laughs> Club book, but I can identify actors uh, in their younger form almost instantaneously. <laughs> oh. 
there's an old system called the uh, Masterbook Games. It's from West End Games that did Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And uh, one of the things they had that you could do is roll on a chart of useless skills and it had stuff like that <laughs> and like being able to burp the alphabet and stuff like this. It was funny. That's fantastic. You could almost just like break out that chart in character creation for almost any system. Any game, yeah. yeah. And by golly, I tell you, some player somewhere is going to find a way to make that skill useful. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and it'll happen. It's like when uh, I played West End Star Wars with uh, with James Shields oh, in North Texas, and great. he had this bag of like fortune cookie sized slips of paper, um, and when he uh, yeah he he passed the bag around, he's like pick three, put one back, uh, and then look to the person next to you, and. Uh, you know, decide which one of those two is the way that your two characters know each other. And so it's just like a little a little slip of paper that's... It's stuff like, uh, we were in prison together, but it's also stuff like, I vomited on you once. <laughs> and it, it it's these like little tiny idiosyncrasies or these little things that connect... Uh, players with each other before the game even starts. I, I love that kind of stuff. That kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah, instant really... background, instant. Uh, yeah, it's great. And it, in a lot of ways, it'll put like a little bow on a character. You know, you you have a character who, kind of you know, works on their own. But how do they fit with these other characters? How do they fit in this world? And it's stuff like that that, kind of gives them that connection to everyone else and. I, l- I love it when people come up with stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah, that, that is, I mean, as a player, you know, to have that springboard of interaction, especially at a convention where you don't know the other players, yep. um, that really just gets the game in motion right away. Mm-hmm. It's brilliant. And I'm pretty sure, like, to a person, everyone at that table was like, we're stealing that. You know, the, this is going <laughs> to happen at our tables now. So at the end of our time here, I always like to turn it over to the guests to, uh, you know, hype up anything they got coming out, any plugs you want to make, anything like that. Uh, Lou, it's it's your time. Go for it. Oh, well, thanks. Um, you know, uh, real quick, I almost forgot about it. Uh, so we were talking before the show, my buddy, uh, uh, so Levi Combs, most of you guys know him from Planet X Games, uh, he is doing a Kickstarter for... I always get it backwards. I hope we get it right here. Ray guns and robots. I believe that's the correct order. <laughs> uh, and it's uh, it's a kind of cool sci-fi zine. And uh, he let me do a, a little adventure for it. Uh, Outpost uh, Z90. Um, it's kind of somewhat of a alien sort of scenario where the characters go to this abandoned asteroid mine and they try to figure out, you know, why it was so quickly abandoned as they, they go into it to try to get some of the legendary metal that it contains. Um, but it, he's given me a preview of the zine, and it looks really nice. Uh, if you're into any sort of sci-fi role-playing, uh, even, you know, I think you could probably adapt a lot of it to, like, Mutant Crawl Classics 2 or any kind of post-apocalyptic gaming. Uh, so I want to throw that out there. That's going to be kickstarting. Uh, I think, I don't know if it's on there right now or real soon uh, from Planet X Games. And then my stuff... Uh, Dandelion Games, uh, spelled D-A-N-D-Y-L-I-N-E. Um, you can go to our Facebook page, and I got a lot of announcements on there, but we're also on drive-through. Uh, I've got the, the Dare Luck Club 
role-playing game book in hardback and softbound. Uh, the prices have been jumping around because of printers. Uh, you know, U.S. economy right now, everything seems to be in flux price-wise. But uh, they're on there. And then also the, the two adventure uh, anthologies, the Hunt House and uh, Mayhem Museum, they're available on there as well. Uh, all that's available in print and as PDFs. Um, and then hopefully here within the next couple months, we'll have our the next month, hopefully the Kickstarter for the uh, Classics Mutated. And then uh, after that, we should have the uh, Menacious Midway uh, going there for another adventure anthology. Thanks for having me here, man. Ooh, Absolutely. This, this, this has been of fun. <clears throat> I've enjoyed... This has gone in some uh, some interesting directions tonight. Just me, I guess, mourning the loss of my specific <laughs> way of growing up. And, and it seems like even though we came up at different times, mine very much carried over because uh, my, you know, my parents, they came up that way. And so they had me come up that way. Hopefully I can get my kids to do it. Uh, you know, once once Elfie and I start having kids, who You're knows? You're a good guy. You should reproduce. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this this has been great. So, uh, you know, guys, thank you so much for uh, joining us this evening. Just to let you know what's coming up uh, this month for Rolling Bones. Next week, we're doing session one of Nighthaven Shades of Grey. Uh, so John and Joe Page from Project Full Blade and then Prax and Rez from Gamertarians, they'll be with us again to actually start our adventure in Nighthaven <laughs> and uh, find out just what's going on with these missing acolytes, who is Kieran Devitt, and how much are you guys going to hate the accent that I have uh, for <laughs> Kieran that I've been using forever. Uh, hint, if you're from Ireland, um, forgive me. <laughs> we'll put it that way and you'll find out why next week but uh beyond that you know we'll probably have some reviews coming up and uh definitely be talking more about games and and doing a lot more uh fun stuff here on rolling bones as always uh so until then guys whether you rolled a one or a 20 i'm so glad that you rolled your bones with me ryan howard and i'll see you guys next time